Welcome to the South Metro Ministries podcast. Here's this week's message from Pastor Alan Matura. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, please. Verse number 26. This Sunday's lesson is a third in a series entitled The Christmas Drama. The first Sunday I spoke to you about the wise men. And I titled that message, When You Follow a Star to Find a Stable. Last Sunday I spoke about Herod. And I titled that message, The Grinch Who Tried to Steal Christmas. Today I will speak about Mary. And I titled this message, Trust God for the Impossible. And when you read the text, you'll find out what impossibility she had to trust for. Verse 26, Luke 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, Here's the impossible part. How can this be since I do not know a man? Pause with me. How can this happen since I haven't had sexual union as it is in the biological procreation of a child? I'm a virgin is what she's implying. Not implying, but what she's saying because she was. Verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. The angel continues by saying, Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Everybody read with me the next two verses out loud on the count of three. One, two, three. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, everybody, Behold, a maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Stretch your hand this way, would you? And pray for me now. Would you 10 seconds? Come on, would you open up and say, Lord, help. Father, in Jesus' name, many of us, are facing impossibilities today, Lord. Go ahead and pray in your own way. And we need a Merry Christmas, a M-A-R-Y Christmas, a Christmas of miracles. So, Lord, may we leave here not being entertained or not judging how well I do or did not do or what the music was not or what it was. May we leave here with a Merry Miracle in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. It happened on a Wednesday, church. Just a little town, very insignificant place long, long ago. But I know it happened on a Wednesday because my study revealed it to me. I know because all wedding engagement betrothals, all wedding contracts were written on Wednesdays during the time that Mary and Joseph lived. The parents of both Joseph and Miriam who we now know as Mary, 
The parents of Joseph and Miriam came together for the customary signing, if you will, but they really didn't know the significance of what they were signing or doing that day in regards to what the future would bring for this couple. After all, it was the custom. Every Wednesday in the town in which they lived, somebody was writing up engagement contracts which basically said within the year from the writing, or more specifically, at the end of the year, the two people for whom the parents consented would be married. I've seen some marriages and done some weddings, and I wish we had that fashion and style where parents had to consent first. Before, okay, I'll go right on and preach about the impossible. Very common names. The names Mary and Joseph. In fact, church... Almost every Jewish family that had a girl born to its child or children's blessings had a Mary in it or a Miriam. The name was very special because Miriam was the name of the sister of Moses. Some family was known to have two Marys, Mary the older and Mary the younger. It was absolutely the most common feminine name among the Jewish people at that time. And the name Joseph was very common as well as his vocation or his job. He was a carpenter. He was not a scholar. He was not a rabbi. He was not a public figure or a politician. He was a carpenter. Now while the custom of engagements on Wednesdays was common and the names were common, there are some very uncommon things about this Christmas story. They are so uncommon that indeed they fit into the category of amazing. So I want to look with you in the moments we have together. I want to look with you at three amazing things beginning with the account in Luke 1. All of these amazing things I want to point out with the story of a girl who learned to trust God totally and a God who took a young girl and did something so absolutely amazing and impossible. And if God will do it for Mary, he will do it for you. First of all, number one is the amazing announcement. We read about it in our text, verses 1 through 37. The very nature of how God brought this message to Mary is awe-inspiring. Let me present to you for your pondering a quote that I read some years ago that I wrote down and I want to put on the screen for you to understand the amazing announcement and the nature of it. And it goes like this. I'll read it. You follow with me. Just when we begin to learn enough about God's system of nature to understand its reliability, God, in the central event of all human history, decides to supersede it. He proclaims an amazing announcement that no laws of physics can explain, that no scientist can hypothesize, that no computer can predict. Quite beyond the bounds of biology, God announces the Son of the Most High would be born of a virgin. Leave it on the screen for a few more moments, please. Born of a virgin, you say? No, no, that's what he said. Now hear this, church. We all know 
adults know, we, we, we know, and others, that God so blessed man and woman that their union sexually under the blessing of marriage is the way that God blesses the population of the world and families with children. And this thing about an angel announcing to Mary about you are going to bear the Christ child. He's going to be called Jesus and he's going to be the most high and etc. While all that's wonderful, the amazing announcement is, and the question is, how is this going to be since I do not know or have an physical sexual union with a man. I have a fiancé, but... And we are betrothed to be married. And, and here's the thing about the Christmas story, okay? You need to get this. The thing about the Christmas story and Christmas and Christ is that we have to keep it simple in order to appreciate it. What do you mean keep it simple, Pastor? I mean just believe what the book says and not add to it. You know, I like all the trimmings of Christmas. I like all the other cute stuff. But the story is about Jesus. The story is not complex. The word simple is a a, a very unpopular word with some theologians. Some theologians prefer the word complex. If you ever read this stuff, you have to have a thesaurus or some other dictionary to understand it. Theologians, some of them for the past 20 centuries, have tried to explain not only the virgin birth, but all manner of miracles. They get all unravel about the virgin birth and, and whether or not it was possible as if the virgin birth was the first amazing thing that ever happened in Scripture. For goodness sakes, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, go back to creation, the very beginning. Wasn't that awesome and unexplainable? But I can tell you how I can explain the creation. Because the Bible begins with these words. In the beginning, God. I feel a whoop. I got to behave because some of you invited a guest for the first time. Uh. How do you explain how the sun rises and sets and the timing of it? And how do you explain that there's there are seasons and we are now in winter? Then we'll go to spring and we'll go to summer and we'll go to autumn. How do we explain? How does God tell how far the ocean waves to come and stop by? And who, who does all? Who, how can you explain how a, a black cow eats green grass and gives white milk and sometimes chocolate? Chocolate part comes from Hershey's, in case you didn't know. I can't explain what makes my heart beat and all my arteries, and, but I'm glad I'm here amongst you. I don't have to figure out where the air comes. I'm just glad to be uh, five feet, six inches above the ground. I'm like the undertaker says. I'm glad to see you rather than view you. 
and the whole the thing about it, it's amazing what theologians or scholars or atheists or others who don't want Mary in Christmas or Christ in Christmas or don't want to use the word miracle, the length they will go to to try to explain away the miracles of the Bible. Yeah. One atheist said, we don't have a holiday for us like Christians have for them. We need a holiday. Like Christians have Easter for them. They have Thanksgiving holiday for them. They have Christmas for them. And we don't have a holiday for we atheists. You know, in the Bible, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, the atheists do have a holiday for them. It's called April Fools. I'll move right on. It's amazing to me how people try to explain away the miracles of God. Take, for example, an article found from UPI out of Boston some years ago. Some years ago, this article tried to explain the miracle of how David, about a 14, 15-year-old freckle-faced red-haired guy with a slingshot and a stone who was a shepherd, killed a giant who was nine feet tall and whose armor alone, Goliath's armor alone, weighed more than David did. This is how the scholars tried to explain it some years ago. And I'll read from their article, beginning here. Quote, David may have been able to kill Goliath because the giant suffered a rare growth disorder. Uh, this is what doctors suggest yesterday when the article was written. In a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine, a husband and wife team from Vanderbilt University in Nashville theorized that Goliath may have suffered from a rare disorder that causes tumors to grow in the endocrine glands which helps regulate the body's growth and functions. Psychiatrist Pauline Rayburn, who helped formulate this theory with her endocrinologist husband David Rayburn, said a cyst in the giant's forehead may have made him vulnerable to David's slingshot. Such a cyst would be a softer spot and allow the pebble to penetrate into the, his brain, killing him instantly. End of quote. Now, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, I have no idea what kind of rare disorder Goliath might have had. As John Waxwell said, he may have just had a soft head. All I know is David got him. Dead, gone, no longer a threat. Have you ever heard the one about how scientists and scholars try to explain away the parting of the Red Sea? You know when the Bible said, the Bible says when Pharaoh's army was chasing the people of God who was just relieved from slavery in Egypt and they were headed to the promised land and they came to the Red Sea and the army of Pharaoh was behind them and the deep, deep, wide Red Sea was ahead of them. God told Moses to lift up the rod and the waters would part and all night, God, don't worry me, you guys, I got it. Uh, all night long, God sent a wind to blow the wall of both sides of a path. You remember that? You ever seen the, the Ten Commandments? They did their best, to, to, but, but there was a wall of water, maybe a hundred or two hundred feet high. It depends on how deep that sea was. And a wall on the other side. And a million and a half Israelites, former slaves, walked through on dry ground. And then Pharaoh's army came in after. And the wall of water swallowed them up. 
But now, this is what scholars said really happened. It wasn't really called the Red Sea. It was called the Reed Sea. R-W-E-D, meaning reeds that grow in a swamp. And actually, the waters of the Reed Sea were no higher than your knees, knee-high deep. Well, that makes it an even greater miracle. Tell me how a one and a half million people can get through that water and a whole Pharaoh army can drown in knee-deep water. They must have been idiots. What a stupid army to get drowned. Go ahead and say amen. It's Christmas. You can smile. If you're sitting beside Ebenezer, say smile, Ebenezer. You know, we got so many learned people. And you know, I don't mind us having degrees. I have my master's degree. I have two of them. I have my, my undergraduate degree. My wife has her PhD. And some of you have your, your, your PhD. And, and some of you are a CEO of a company. And, and those titles are appropriate. But don't, don't let it ever get to your head, okay? And try to explain everything about God, you know? I mean, you, you, you do know what PhD means, don't you? If you ever get too high and mighty, remember what a PhD is? It's a post-hole digger. Let me go on. I can tell I'm striking some nerves here. Here's, here's, here's something I want you to see. It's absolutely amazing how far we will go to not say Merry Christmas. Happy Holiday. Happy, you know, help me, Jesus. Thank you. I will bring it. Merry Christmas. Do you know Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was not at the stable? Do you know at the stable there were no little drummer boy, rup a pom pom rup a pom pom here comes mom. Do you know at the stable Santa Claus and his elves were not there to help? Now I like all that stuff and I got the, I got, got the little things for our grandkids. I, I like it all. But it ain't about bags and boxes and bows and trees and trinkles and tinkles and all these little fancy lights. I like it all. It's about God who came to be one of us, who took our griefs and our sorrows and put on our flesh and died for us. It's about Jesus. Jesus is and will always be the reason for the season. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Come on and somebody praise the Lord. Here's, an, here's something else that's amazing. Item number two here. The amazing assignment. I told you about the amazing announcement. Now the amazing assignment. The, this assignment of the birth of the Christ child is given to a 15-year-old girl. Scholars tell us she would be no older than 15 or 16 because in that culture in that time... Young girls, or girls got married younger. The question that comes to mind about this amazing assignment is, how can God trust the redemption of the world to a teenage girl? If it's, if it's our day and time and God decided to send a, redemption, a redeemer to the world and use a 15-year-old teenager, we'd say, God, whoa, whoa, whoa. do you know about a 15-year-old teenage girl in America now? She got an iPad, iPhone, email, texting, big old football jersey that uh, covers her whole self here and she just sitting around chewing chewing gum or, or texting or something and uh, she you know she just lives for the moment and and, and you're going to trust the salvation of the world to a teenage, teenage girl 
Look like to me, God, you'd find a virgin in long about her early 30s who are virgin looking like, who've gone through puberty and maturity and gone through young adulthood and now she's about 30. Look like to me if you're going to give this amazing assignment to send the Son of God in human form, you'd use somebody older and more mature. You remember Sarah was 90 years old when she had her first child and Abraham was 100. Can I get a witness? And you ladies especially thinking, God, don't do it to me. I'm 50 or 40. I'm finished now. I don't blame you, gal. I love our grandchildren. I tell you, I, this, this three and a half week old one we got, I got a picture everywhere. You got a little time, I'll be out front. I got a brag book. I love Fallon and I love Lakeland. And I thank God for them, but I love to send them back home. No, no, no. You know, I'm thinking about Elizabeth in the text. Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist, was the mother, past tense. She was barren. And God blessed her and she conceived and bore John the Baptist. When we look at the Christmas story, we find it's, it's a story about God doing the impossible. Can I get a witness from the, from the church? I am stunned at the amazing assignment to Mary, but she's not the first one to ever receive an amazing assignment from God. You know, when I study the Bible, I understand and I look at my own life and what God's done in my life. God's always choosing the wrong person for the job. He chose Abraham to be the father of many nations and he, the man didn't have a child. He told Abraham and Sarah, especially Abraham one night, go outside, leave your tent, look at the stars, count them, and I'll give you so many kids, you could be as innumerable as the stars. Look like to me, if you're going to be the father of many nations, you ought to have at least one child. Eventually he did. More than one. It's called the nation of Israel. But it seemed like God's always choosing the wrong people. Remember Moses that God chose to lead the children of Israel out of bondage back to the promised land? He was an ex-convict. Ex-con. Don't look at me like you, you ain't done some stuff. <laughs> he killed an Egyptian and ran for 40 years. And God called him to lead the people. He said, God, by the way, do you remember I'm an ex-con? I'm a wanted man. And by the way, he was the wrong man because he had a speech impediment. He couldn't talk plainly. He was like me. I can't chew chewing gum and walk at the same time. But I try. Who would have chose Moses to go to the highest authority in Egypt, the Pharaoh, and talk to him? You see, my God's always choosing the wrong people. Who would have chosen Samson to be a judge of Israel? He was a he-man with a she-weakness. I'm preaching. He'd always try to, he couldn't just look and go, he He was, he often gave into the flesh and thus lost his anointing. Instead of being a judge of Israel, he should have been judged. Who would have chosen little David to be the next king of Israel? That's the wrong guy. God said Samuel the prophet to go anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king of Israel. David was one of the sons of Jesse. He was keeping the sheep. Jesse the father lines up all his boys. They are royal looking, they are comely, they are built, they look like material for being king and Samuel looks at the whole line of them and says, hmm, no, not these guys. 
God didn't send me to know any of these guys. You got any more sons? Yeah, we got a little guy out there, freckle face. He's about, he's about 14 years old. He's keeping the sheep. He smells like a sheep. And, you know, but well, all he knows to do is keep sheep. And he got a slingshot he practices with. And he got, a, he got a little harp he sings songs and all with. But he's not king stuff. I went and got him. The Holy Spirit t- said to Samuel, this is the one. I know it him. And his brothers and father were stunned. You chose the wrong guy. And you know what Samuel said to them? Man looks on the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. Go ahead and give the Lord a praise. Yeah. I know I got to hurry. No, I don't have to hurry. All you're going to do is sit on the couch and watch NFL. Or go to or Charlie's and I told him not to open until I got through preaching. Who would have chosen Saul to become the Apostle Paul? Saul was killing Christians. Do you know the word? He, he held the people's coat and robes while they picked up rocks and stones and as heavy boulders and bashed the life out of Stephen in the book of Acts, the first Christian martyr. He was so anti-Christ that he got papers from the Jewish authorities to go to cities including Damascus and and arrest Christians and rope them and tie them and bring them back or kill them if they won't come for being Christians. And the Lord on one of his journeys from Jerusalem to Damascus with an entourage going with papers to arrest Christians, the Lord in the brightness of the day appeared to Saul and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, who you persecute. And I'm paraphrasing it. Don't you know it's hard for you to kick against the goads? You know, back then they used goads, sharp uh, uh, pointed edge of a branch to goad the animals to get them to obey. And, and God says to Saul, don't you know it's hard to fight with God and win? I wish some of you would say amen. Some of you are fighting God. Some of you, the last thing you want to do is surrender to God. Your pride, your dignity. I'm not going to be one of them. But eventually, if you're fighting with God, God's going to win. And the less fight you put up, the quicker the blessing comes. But if you don't want him, he won't force himself on you. Saul is blinded for three days. He goes to Damascus and God takes a scale off his eyes, sends Ananias and prophesies over him and he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. The greatest evangelist in the early church. I mean, he wrote more epistles in the book than anybody else. And by the way, somebody says, what are the epistles? Well, they're not the wives of the apostles. They are letters in the Bible. Seems like God is always choosing the wrong person. Um, you know, if you were choosing a pastor and you looked at the outward appearance, and, and when God chose me, I thought, wait a minute, God. I used to be so afraid to stand before people and speak, I would fake a bellyache in high school if I had to make an oral presentation before the class by a book report or a uh, poem I had to recite. I'd tell my mother, I'd lie and say, I'm not feeling well today. How many know God's on the side of mothers? You know what the mothers say? Go on, you'll feel better later. <laughs> Can I get an idea? Me, I was 19 years old when I was called to preach. And I had a head full of hair. And I looked like little Lord Funkleroy. 
And I know where I can buy here in case I want to look that way again. So, so, so you know, but, but, but fo- follow me. If you were looking on the outward, you, you probably wouldn't choose a five foot six Indian from Trinidad to be your pastor. And I'd look a few of you if I was choosing members. I, okay. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> seems like God's always choosing the wrong person. But I'll tell you something. Look, put it on the screen. If God chooses you, he, he, he has an amazing plan. Put the first Corinthians on the screen for me. And let me show you how God chooses. I'll read you follow. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and follow. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in his presence. Somebody clap. This church is not about me. I knew this year that God could take me out of here just like that. I just get to be the pastor. I know I got some people around me to help me in and out, but I'm not untouchable. I am replaceable. I know that. So if I get high and mighty, I understand that God is in control. He chose me. He chose you. They will bury Nelson Mandela today in Africa, in the village from which he came. I have traveled to Africa. I traveled and had the opportunity in Johannesburg to take a tour and went on the same street and saw the house in which he lived in 2011. I am a student of history. I have many biographies and autobiographies. I have a thick autobiography of Nelson Mandela. I have a thick autobiography of Mahatma Gandhi, who brought freedom to the Indians over the British rule. I have biographies of Howard Hughes, and I have biographies of Abraham Lincoln, and uh, I have uh, other books. I majored in history in undergraduate and graduate school. And, and, and I think Nelson Mandela, of course, was on Robben Island for 27 years, a prisoner. Nelson Mandela will tell you what Mahatma Gandhi will tell you, what Billy Graham will tell you, what Joyce Myers will tell you, what Martin Luther King Jr. will tell you, what world changers will tell you. They'll tell you, I'm amazed that God chose me. Come on, somebody here, help me. If I knew God was going to choose me for this and what I'd have to go through, I I wouldn't sign up. Who told you you were a loser? With God, all things are possible. Who told you that drugs and alcohol has to stay in your family? With God, all things are possible. Who told you that you have to, you have to be an addict or or you have to be hooked to pornography? Who told you that you are going to have cancer in your family because it's been in your family? Who told you that you are going to be uh, an invalid or have to be on medication or have panic and anxiety and fear the rest of your life? Who told you that? If somebody told you that, they are not of God because with God, all things are possible. Praise Him, somebody. Praise Him, somebody. Praise Him in the name of the Lord. One more thought, please. 
Put it on the screen. It was an amazing announcement, an amazing assignment, but there also was amazing acceptance. Verses 26 to 29 and verse 38 talks about what Mary did in order to risk this assignment and make it come to pass. How shall this thing be if I know not a man? What did Mary have to risk to get her blessing? Because the most popular name, come Joseph if you will, or Pastor Chad to the music and allow me to close in a few moments. You know Pentecostal preachers, we have four or five closings. This is my first. <laughs> what did Mary risk in order to obey God and be the mother of Jesus? Do you know that blessings come with a cost, but the reward is far greater than the cost? I know what Paul says now about these light and momentary afflictions cannot be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. She risks, number one, her family's rejection and disapproval. She risks having her mom and dad and brother and sisters reject her because the stigma of a young girl being pregnant out of wedlock in that culture was unbelievable. You're probably thinking, surely her, her parents, when they heard the message that she was pregnant, affirmed her, com comforted her, and supported her. Maybe they did, but we don't have any record of that. Maybe they responded like you and I would respond. I have two daughters, and now they're old and they're married and have a child each. But if one of my daughters said to me at age 15, I'm pregnant, and I ask who, and she says, God did it, I would say, excuse me? We need to have a talk. She not only risks reject, she rejects risk, risk, pardon me, risk public disapproval. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I know about the culture from reading. Mary, can you imagine the gossip, the gossip in the small town of Nazareth? Now we have gossip through email, text mail. Air mail. I got another mail, but let's start with the F-E, but I'm not going there. Uh, oh, here I am, crucified. <laughs> you see what I risk preaching? That's why I have to have a police and security. And I'm only teasing because I will have lunch with you, will I not, Valerie? Let it be unto me. You see, I, I go off in these tangents and I forget what I'm preaching. Here's what Shalom asked. S-H-U-L-U-M-A-S-K wrote a novel about Mary and says what she risked about public disapproval. Let, let me quote it here and I'm trying to wind it down. Here's, here's, here's what she faced. The traditional wedding ceremony included the requirement of the bride to sit in front of her father's house for parts of three days. She was to have her hair loose and she was to be dressed in white to signify her virginity. This is three days before she's married. This is a custom of what a virgin would do before she gets married. She would sit in front of her father's house, receive greetings and good wishes from one and all. But Mary was found to be with child, or as they would say in those days of Mary's, she already had a baby beneath her heart. Do you suppose that Mary went through this custom? What kind of greetings would passerbys give a pregnant girl dressed in bridal white 
What kind of greeting would she receive? If you were her parents, would you allow her, your pregnant teenage daughter, to sit as a spectacle before everybody and their protest that she was pure? But that's the kind of risk that Mary faced when she agreed to God's assignment and she said, let it be to me according to your word. Fourth, thirdly, very much, quickly. She risked also the loss of a fiancé, Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. He was a holy man. God chose him to be the adoptive father of Jesus. They had, their parents had signed the contracts. They were to be married. And to lose Joseph would be to lose the love of her life, but also to lose her financial support. And then to lose Joseph would also mean she was a marked girl. No other man would have her. Number four. She could possibly lose her life. Do you know if the daughter of a priest back then in those days were found pregnant outside of wedlock, they would burn her to death? Mary was a commoner. They would either stone her with rocks or they would strangle her to death. I want to tell you something. It costs something to obey God. But next to the name of the Jesus in English or in any other language, next to the most popular name in the world, Jesus is the name Mary. There are some of us here this morning who need a miracle. We need a Mary miracle. We got some impossibilities. And I, I, I'm telling you, I'm standing before you right now telling you that Christmas is not, again, not about bags and bows and boxes. It's about the story of miracles that continue again and again because in Hebrews 13 and 8, the Bible says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not telling you somebody, you're looking at a miracle. I used to tell somebody else's story about depression, anger, panic, fear, and suicidal thoughts. Until I got my own. And I will not want to go through it again. But I'll not exchange what I learned. Because it's all about people. Jesus didn't die for bag, boxes, bows, and buildings. We need them all. He died for people. And he wants to give you a miracle. See, right here while I stand, I'm your pastor. But right here while I stand, I'm conscious that Karis, I don't know if, if, if Trey and Deidre are here this morning. If you are, would you raise your hand so I can know you are? And if you're not, I will certainly understand. I'm here talking about a miracle that Trey and Deidre Bimbury need for their four-year-old daughter, Karis, who has a malignant brain tumor that if something's not done, she will not live 19 months. She's under radiation. Every day they leave Noonan weekdays and travel to Emory Hospital for her to have radiation and for her to ha have chemotherapy. I'm standing before you right now and there's a little girl in our church whose mother I saw after church, she's six years old, and she has cancer. And some of us, and this child will have operation and they hope they will get the, the, the tumors. I'm standing for you right now and telling you that Brother Todd Rainwater, who's an elder, has been an elder in our church, who and his wife Trinisha sings in a choir. He's an usher. He's been a member of our building committee. He's an architect by trade, but he, he, by his vocation, he retired from the federal government being an architect and gave us at no charge his service in this building program. Worked right along Pastor Jeff every day. He went for a stress test on Wednesday. 
and they, having had no previous heart concerns, he went for a stress test. They stopped the test. They took him immediately to the heart catheterization where they run this, this tube. As you know, some of you have had it done. And they told him you have three blockages in the arteries of your heart. One is 100% block. One is 90% block. One is 30% block. And the nature of the blockages and where they are cannot be solved by stints. You will have to have open heart or rather bypass surgery. And tomorrow morning at 7.30, he will be in Piedmont, Atlanta having surgery. And sometimes we sit around thinking, you know what, I'm not getting a Christmas bonus. You know what, I'm not, I, don't, I can't afford a name brand sweater or shoe. I'm not belittling him if you get it. I'm just telling you that they don't come in boxes, bags, and bows. We need miracles that doctors can't do. We need miracles that mom and daddy can't do. And you know when God gives you miracles? Put it on the screen. And I know I've gone past my time. And if you don't come back, I'm glad I had a shot at you anyhow. God does miracles, number one, when you decide you're going to serve God regardless. Whether I get the $5 or the 5000 whether I'm in a storm or in a valley, whether I'm in ICU or in my living room, I'm going to serve God whether I, whether I have to foreclose or not. When you say, God, be it unto me, regardless. Number two, you know when God does miracles? When you surrender. I give up, God. I, I've tried to handle it on my own and I've dug a deeper hole. And when you trust in Him, that's when God does miracles, when you turn it over to Him. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 5 and 6, uh, 3, 5 and 6, with all thine heart, do not lean to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy path. Bow your heads, please. I surrender, Pastor. I surrender. If I were to die today, sir, I would not make it to heaven. I know me and I fooled other people and I've even fooled myself so long until I believe that I'm okay, but I can't fool God. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I need a savior. I need to quit this business of trying to let my pride and my ego and myself, giving credit to myself for what I got when everything I got comes from God. I want to rededicate my life to God or give my life to Him for the first time. Raise your hands. you got five seconds. Thank you. Hold it up. Hold it up. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Time's up. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pastor, I'm saved and I know I'm going to heaven, but I need a Mary miracle. It's my grandchildren. It's my marriage. It's my mind, Pastor. It's my medication. Pastor, it's my attitude. It's my anger problem. It's my addiction. And I need God to give me a merry miracle. I need God to give my marriage a miracle, my child a miracle, my business a miracle. Raise your hands if that's you. You say, but you need a merry miracle. Put them down. Rise to your feet, would you now? And just look this way. If you need a miracle, nobody has to tell you what it is. You already know. Bow your heads and begin to pray right now with me for your salvation or your miracle. Open your mouth loud enough for you to hear yourself. Because if you just think it, the devil is going to take your mind and wander off the service. If we're going to close in a moment. Begin right now. Tell the Lord. Tell, 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 tell the Jesus what miracle you need. And I'll pray over you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray as, as they pray, God, that you will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot deliver ourselves. We look out, uh, outside, on the outside, we look like everything is fine, but the inside, there's a storm raging. Inside, oh God, we have questions without answers. We, we have, a, oh God, we, we have a destination without a roadmap and a GPS, oh God. We have sleepless nights and worry-filled days. Our stomach churns and, and oh God, sometimes anger comes in and fear comes in and, and the devil says, kill yourself. Oh God, I'm thinking right now of two weeks ago of a 35-year-old preacher who took his own life because he got so depressed. And I ask you in Jesus' name, Oh God, have mercy on us. Now everybody raise up your hands. Raise up your hands. The Bible tells us and God tells us that when we give the sacrifice of praise, we'll get our miracle. So whether you feel like it or not, just say thank you Jesus. Say hallelujah. Say I believe you Lord. Go ahead. Say it out loud. Praise him for about 30 seconds. Come on. Come on. Let me hear you praise him. Say devil, you're a liar. I'm a child of God. I'm not a loser. I'm not going to die before my time. I'm not going to be hooked. I'm not going to be living in grief. I'm going to see my loved one again. Come on, praise him. God, let it be unto me what you said. Whatever it costs me, regardless, I will follow you in Jesus' name. Give him a hand clap. Sing, Pastor Chad. My whole prayer team, my elders, my staff, my prayer team, come and stand to the front. And if you need prayer... While they sing, you come. I'm going to let you go in just a moment, but I want you to sing. If you need prayer, while they come, come from all over. Raise your hands all over the house. Sing this closing chorus. Raise your hands. Come on. Do it like you really mean it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit smmcog.com.